Neva robe. And uh, this is, uh, was worn by uh, John Calvin and some of the other reformers. And uh, it was worn because a lot of the preaching at that day in the sermons were done in very high-level vestments, really ornate things. And uh, Calvin and others wore just a simple black robe. And the reason they wore a simple black robe is because it showed less of the man and more of the word. So when they came to preach the word, it elevated the word of God versus the man that preached it. And that was the idea of the plainness of the man and the elevation of God's word. I think it's fitting as we talk about Reformation Sunday and also fitting for the passage today about being able to listen um, to um, the word of God. I only wear this occasionally on special events. Some of my friends that are in our denomination wear this every single Sunday. Um, And people still um, wear today the Geneva robe. So um, there you go. If you want to be like more questions about it, let me know. Um, I know today it might feel like it draws more attention, but the goal is to draw attention away from me and more to the word. That is the hope. Well, how far does deception go? Well, in 1943, we had one of the greatest deceiving tricks ever, and it was called Operation Mincemeat. And what the Allies did at that time, specifically the British, is they hatched a plan. They took a dead body, and they put movie tickets in the pockets, they put pictures of of, um, a fake wife, they put fake letters in, they attached a briefcase um, to the person's arm um, via handcuffs, and they placed the body on the shores of Spain. And it was a pretend major who had sunk in a ship and had plans of where the allies were going to land in Europe before the invasion against the Germans. And it had in this briefcase plans again of where they would land. Now the deception is this that uh, they knew that the Germans were listening in to their conversations And so it was all a ruse. They made it all up. They had been talking about it over the airwaves and the Germans had heard it. So they said, we know they're hearing it, so we're going to give them a fake plan. And that's what they did. And in the plan, it said, we are going to evade in Sicily. And they said, oh, they're trying to fake us that they're going to invade in Sicily. So they won't. They're going to invade somewhere else. And then the allies actually did invade in Sicily instead of through Greece. And it actually threw off many, many Germans. How far does deception go? Today we're going to see how far Saul goes to deceive Samuel. And I'm going to argue that Saul goes so far in his deception of Samuel, he ends up deceiving himself. And I want to ask the question of this for all of us this morning. How far can deception go in our own lives? Are we so blind that sometimes we fool ourselves? Well, we're going to find out this morning that. Let's look in 1 Samuel 15. It's printed in your worship guide. And also you can look in the Bible too and check it out. We're going to look at 1 Samuel 15. We're going to start... Um, In verse 10. 
this morning. 1 Samuel 15. Let's pay attention as we read God's word. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I perform the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, Well, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, Oh, they have brought them up from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction." Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil the sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, this word would uh, not go in one ear and out the other, but instead it would come into our minds, transform us and change us. And if we are deceived by the power of your spirit, that you would find us out. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, we're just joining us. We are going through the book of 1 Samuel this fall and winter. And uh, the book of 1 Samuel really is exciting in that it looks at the inner life and also the political life of Israel through its kings, through its priests, through its prophets. And I've argued that uh, in the month of September, we look specifically at Samuel. In October, we are looking specifically at Saul. And then in November and December, we're going to look at David. However, that might be a little bit of a misnomer. Does that mean Saul is out of the picture from now until the end? No. In fact, Saul is still a major character through the book of 1 Samuel 
all the way to the end of the book. But I think this chapter is the beginning of the end when it comes to Saul. The beginning of the end. We thought maybe in chapters 13 and 14, which we saw last week, we thought that was the end of Saul. And that's what Samuel said, your kingdom shall not go past you. And we saw elements of his leadership being suspect. But this week, this morning, we are going to see that not just his leadership is suspect, that his very character is suspect. That he is now reaching the point of no return. If you have ever wondered, how does someone become evil? How does someone end up making these horrible choices? This week gives us a glimpse of how that happens. You know, have you ever wondered, how did an Austrian boy who used to love painting watercolors of the sceneries of Germany become the leader of the Third Reich? How did that happen? How did a pod racer on the planet of Tatooine become the vice regent of the empire? I mean, how did he become Darth Vader? I mean, we're going to try to figure that out too. The thing is, I don't think anyone that's evil comes to the place where they say, you know, I'm evil. No, for the most part, people don't say that. No, instead, they are self-deceived. No one comes out and says, yeah, you know what? I, I'm an evil person. In fact, they are deceived about where they are at. The first deception that I want to warn us against this morning is this. Is the idea that this passage is talking about someone else than me. Oh yeah, tonight we're talking about Saul. Today we're talking about Hitler. We're talking about Darth Vader. We're talking about my uncle, you know, that I don't want to see ever. I don't know what it is. We're talking about someone else, but you can't be talking about me. The first lie of deception is saying, it's not me. So I hope we would look aright at ourselves this morning. Well, let's talk about the situation. I need to unpack this a little bit. First, we see that um, Saul before had 600 men to attack um, a nation. And even with 600, God provided and they won. And now, um, you know, Saul's got some gravitas. I mean, he is um, a guy that people say, I want to follow him. I want to go with him in battle. So now it's not just 600 people that follow him into battle. Now it's 200,000 plus. So if you think that last chapter... Saul lacked confidence. In this chapter, we see he has some overconfidence. And the task that God has given him through Samuel, Samuel being the voice piece of God, the prophet that speaks for God, is this. Destroy the Amalekites. Destroy them all. Every single one. All of their things. All that they have. And we see that this nation from the time of Moses was a continual thorn in Israel's side. As Israel came from Egypt 
into the land. This nation persecuted them and killed them. And it happened throughout the history, even to this place. And God had promised Moses and others that I will bring judgment against those people for what they have done to you. Judgment will come. And here is when the judgment will be doled out through Saul. My community group on Wednesday, we spent 45 minutes um, just on this topic of how could God allow um, Israel to destroy every single person, even children. And I am not going to be able to unpack all of that right now. I have an article that's out there on the um, announcement table that talks about, is the God of Israel a God of genocide? I encourage you to read that article that explains some of the arguments against that. Some articles that I received when I was in college and still among others that say, you know, I can't believe in Christianity because the God that is shown in the Old Testament. So I encourage you, if you have questions about that, you can talk to me or you can um, read that article. But I want to try to unpack it a little bit. You see, I don't think God tasked Israel to do this for um, Israel's expansion or for some cultural superiority, or for the idea of imperialism. No, he tasks Israel to do this for judgment. You know, if we're a Christian, and if we believe in God, and we believe that he created us, and he made all things, and he is the head of our lives, then we would also believe that God has the right to decide whether someone is right or wrong, and to dole out punishment on them. God is the ultimate judge. He doesn't just judge in the Old Testament. He judges now. He will judge us at final judgment too. And this is God bringing his judgment upon a people through the Israelites. Now here, did God just judge other nations? No, we see throughout the Old Testament that God doesn't just judge other nations. He also judges the Israelites. Does God just redeem the Israelites and not other nations? No, we see also through the Old Testament that there are times that God saves the Assyrians. He saved Rahab. He saves Ruth. He saves people from other nations. You see, God is not bringing ethnic cleansing but bringing ethical cleansing. Hear me again. God does not bring ethnic cleansing in the Old Testament. He brings ethical cleansing. He judges those, whoever they are, that do not follow him. And the thing is, this is where Saul goes wrong. He acts like the other nations instead of acting as the judge of God over nations. Do you know what other nations did when they went to war? They went to war for the spoils of war. For the things that the other nations had. To capture their king. To take their people as slaves. They would do those kind of things for control and for the expansion of their power. And God is saying, I don't do that in that way. Israel, as a light to the nations, more than just spreading about who I am, you also are a light to the nations by judging nations that are wicked. 
so that other nations can see the king of kings, Yahweh, is able to judge nations that are wicked. That who's who Israel follows. He follows, they follow a God that judges nations that are destructive and are wicked and that need to be judged by him. He just doesn't make Israel increase in its imperialism and its gaining of land. Instead, he uses Israel to be his mouthpiece and his judgment upon the world. So that said, this is what God warned Israel about. If you put in place a king, he will act like other kings instead of acting the way he should. And that is why what Saul did was so deceptive. Samuel said to Saul, destroy everything, even their king, even all the spoils, even all of their livestock. But what did Saul do? Let's find out, shall we? Let's look again, verses 10 through 16. And we see, and Samuel came to Saul, verse 13. And Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I don't know if this is, you know, getting caught with your hand in the cookie jar kind of thing, and you run out and it's behind your back. Oh, I've done what you told me to do, mom and dad. While you hold the deception behind your back. This is probably one of the best lines in the Bible. It's humorous. It's sarcastic almost. Saul's reaction, Samuel's reaction And what does Samuel say? Well, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? You say you have done what the Lord has told you to do, but wait, my ears deceive me. Do I hear the very thing that you were supposed to do in my ears? Do I hear that? And then Saul responds, and I love the pronouns here. The pronouns are great. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people, the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. The people did it. Samuel, the people did it. Oh, but we, we did the things that were important. We destroyed the things. I with them did what was important. But they did something that was wicked. Oh, deception. (laughs) I think the first level of deception past not thinking it's us um, is denial and blame. Where we blame everyone else. And then we take credit ourselves for the good things. Here's the thing. In obedience in the Hebrew here, it means being able to listen to God. Saul did not listen to God. He thought he was listening. He thought he heard the right thing, but he really didn't. He thought he knew what God had told him to do, but he didn't. And I think the deception in his mind worked a little bit like this. He said, you know, partial obedience is enough. 
Saul thinks, oh, I've done the task. I've done partial obedience, so that's good enough. Could you imagine being the head of like a, a Brinks truck where you, you know, take the money to different banks and you've done it faithfully for 40 years, but your last drop off, you decide I'll keep $10,000 and um, they come back to you, the bank and says, um, we're missing $10,000 here. And you said, well, I've been faithful for 40 years. Isn't it okay that I missed the mark a little bit at the very end and took $10,000? Isn't partial obedience, obedience enough? What do you think the bank would say? You know what? You're right. (laughs) No, keep the 10 grand. That's fine. No. See, obedience in one area doesn't make up for your disobedience in another. And then there's the everyone else does it excuse. The other kingdoms, they keep the spoils. They keep these things. The thing is, you are not like other nations, Israel. It's amazing. It's an issue that our kids use a lot. But my friends have this. My friends do this. And as adults, we say, does that make it right? You know, if they jump off the cliff, will you do it too? You know, these excuses. And I'm glad we've evolved as we become older adults that we don't say those same things ourselves. You know, sometimes it's not until we are many, many years in the future and maybe a part of a different culture that we realize how many people have been deceived and what they're in. German Christians during World War II. We didn't know he was so bad. Southern Christians during the Jim Crow laws. We had no idea segregation was so bad. What will God say to us, his church in America? I can make some stabs at some things that I think might be said. Probably about our money. But that's another sermon, right? Maybe another way he deceives, it's the sensible thing to do, Samuel. I mean, it makes sense. There's all these animals. Why should it go to waste? And this kind of thinking is, you know, God's not the one that makes the rules. I'm the one that makes the rules. I know how it should really play out. Really, and I'll probably, I hit on this almost every week, and in, in 1 Samuel will hit on this again. It boils down to, I am God, he is not. That's what it boils down to in Saul. I am God, he is not. The Native Americans, they have a great uh, little talk about the conscience, and they relate the conscience to a square peg in the flesh. And every time you do something wrong, the square peg turns and, and it hurts your flesh every time it turns and it, it hurts because it rubs. But if you keep on turning the peg over and over again, it just starts wearing down the flesh until you feel nothing anymore. 
And that is what's happening to Saul. As he, time and time again, does not listen to the word of God and is not able to hear his voice. Instead, he just hears the voice of others. It just, the flesh just wears away. The conscience wears away. Until we will see, and we're going to read about this later in 1 Samuel, the atrocities that this man Saul does are just unbelievable. You didn't think a person of Israel could become so wicked. We will see. Because his conscience has just worn away. That's just not a Native American saying that. It's a saying of the Bible. What does Romans 1 say? It says, the Lord gave them over to the lusts of their heart. And then he goes, this is what people do when they're just given over to their own voice. How can people become so wicked when they stop listening to the voice of the Lord and thinking that their voice triumphs over him? And then the ball gets rolling and then it's almost unstoppable. And then the ship sails out to sea until it cannot be seen anymore. But like a good friend or a good father, Samuel says, Dude, just stop. Stop talking. Stop digging your own grave, bro. Okay? Don't you want to hear what the Lord says? And Saul says, okay. Speak. And then, here we see Samuel says, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Um, what's interesting here is this, that um, Samuel is repeating back what Saul said to himself at his first anointing. What did he say when Samuel anointed Saul? Saul said, how could I be anointed? How could I, from the tribe of Benjamin, this insignificant tribe, be a special person? And I think it's a little bit of sarcasm and irony What um, now Samuel says to Saul, again, though you are little in your own eyes, um, we think, no, Saul isn't really little in his own eyes. What did he just do before this? We just read it. After he defeated the Amalekites, what did he do? He erected a monument in his own honor. This boy has gone a long ways from I am insignificant to now you better erect monuments in my own honor. That is how far he has gone. And here, Samuel is saying to Saul, this is not a popularity contest. Being a king of Israel isn't about you being loved by others. Instead, it is leading the people, even if it's leading them in places they don't want to go. Even when it's hard. Your significance, Saul, was found not in the people erecting a monument for you. Your significance was found in the Lord, the King of Kings, anointing you. That is where your authority comes from. Not from winning battles. Not from getting popularity from other people. It comes from Him and Him alone. And you see that Saul doesn't get it. 
Why doesn't he get it? Because he follows the tradition of other kings. Do you know what other kings used to do? When you defeated another nation, you left the king alive of the other nation. And you brought that king into your court. And sometimes you would seat the king right next to you when other kings came. Why? So the other kings in the other nations could see we are kings of kings. We are lords of lords. Look what we do to other nations. We have them in our own court. They're kings because we destroy them. And there is also this idea that kings get special dispensations. And the special dispensations are this. That they don't have to face judgment or death. They are divine. So they are above the law. Do you see Saul's deception? And God and Samuel says to him, don't you realize, Saul, that there is only one king of kings. That the Lord judges every man, whether they are a king or a serf. There are no special considerations. I'm so glad we don't think we get special considerations, right? (laughs) I'm glad we don't think, oh, there's a special dispensation for me because of what I've experienced. I, I, I get to play by different rules. And God says, no, that is not the way it works. And Samuel pushes Saul again. This is his second chance. I mean, here is Saul up to bat again. Here's his chance to get a hit. Okay? And Samuel says, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And here is Saul's chance. Look with me again, verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, look at pronouns again. I have obeyed. Um, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, the sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Strike two. And here is probably one of the poignant places in scriptures. A piece of poetry that Samuel now says to Saul. If you're going to memorize anything in Samuel, please memorize verse 22. Okay? This is the one to memorize. And you probably only have to memorize one line. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices... As in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. This is the nail in the coffin for Saul. And you see what Saul says. He says, Samuel, the Lord your God. Not our God, your God. You see, 
Saul has thought he has figured out how God works. I see how God works. You appease him. You give him gifts. You pay him off. You sacrifice him. You give him these things. And if you do that, he'll look the other way. You see, I gave all these sacrifices. That makes up for the disobedience I did. And you see that Saul, Samuel responds by saying, sacrifices without obedience mean nothing. Please hear me. If you're going to hear something, please hear this. God doesn't need our sacrifices. He doesn't need us to come to church. He doesn't need us to give lots of money. He doesn't need us for anything for him to be appreciated and for him to be God. No, we bring sacrifices in our lives to him to be able to approach a holy God. We don't bring sacrifices to appease him. We bring sacrifices so we can at least be in his presence. One of the greatest self-deceptions in the history of mankind is religion. And I want to speak specifically to the Fox Cities and to this community. To people that say, if I show up to church, if I sing some songs, if I throw some money at it, it will make up for my actions. That is a lie. That is not the gospel. That is not Christianity. He does not need our church attendance, our service, or money. He wants our utmost obedience. That's what God wants from us. And anything less is sin. There better be some good news, Dan, because I'm not getting very good news. It's coming, okay? It's, it's coming. The thing is, I think self-deception is so easy because we would rather than face the painful truth that we have screwed up, rather than trying to face that pain, the human heart finds unlimited ways to hide the truth. We blame someone else. We hide behind religion. We say it's not that bad. We compare ourselves to others. Because we don't want to face the pain that we have screwed up. That we have failed. And because we don't want to face that pain, our heart thinks of very wicked things and it deceives and deceives and deceives but there's good news right Saul gets it now he's going to repent he's going to say he's sorry because what does uh, Samuel say he says because you have rejected the word of the Lord he has also rejected you from being king uh oh (laughs) 
There goes him being king. And Saul says, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voices. Now, therefore, this is good. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I might bow before the Lord. Has Saul truly repented? Has he truly said he was sorry? I don't think so. In fact, the therefore shows that um, I will say I'm sorry, so Samuel, you'll show I'm okay in front of the people again. It would be like this. It would be like Morgan doing something wrong, and then uh, she goes off to her room. We know there's some problems there. And then she comes back down, is all ready for volleyball practice. And she says to me, I'm ready for volleyball. And I say, um, we're not going to volleyball. And then she says, oh, I'm sorry, Dad. Why did Morgan say she was sorry? Because she knew she wronged me? Or because she wanted to go play volleyball? How can you know if you've really repented? Well, one way you can know if you've truly repented is if the shame that you've gotten or the consequences for the actions that you have will never go away. But you still say, that's okay because I've gained something greater. My relationship back with the Lord. You want to know if you've truly repented? If you've really come over that self-deception, you end your excuses and you face your guilt. You move towards God more than the concern of your reputation. Even if you didn't get things back, it doesn't matter because God is what you need. And your movement results in action, a changed life, and acting differently. I was gonna, I'm going to share this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go off script. My sophomore year of college, I was a leader in university. I looked good to my friends. I was in a great place. So I thought. And then I went to an university conference. And the speaker spoke. And I... When the Spirit comes upon you, it's just, it's crazy. And you want to hold it back. Oh, I, people can't see. People can't see. And I just wept. In front of, in my chair, when this guy's speaking, I just could not stop. And I just wept. And I wept. And people left. And I just kept on weeping. I was found out. God found me. And he said, stop. Stop it. And when you do that, it doesn't matter what you look like anymore. Who gives a rip what people think? Who cares about your reputation? Because I gained something so much greater. 
I gained the Lord. It is so hard. It is so hard to look at our self-deception. Because we want to just hide our pain so much. But you want to know how you can face it and how you can look at it? How can I look at the bad news of what's going on in my life? You can face the bad news when you truly understand the good news. You can face the bad news when you truly understand the good news. Saul, you think you are small in your own eyes. But don't you realize the only one that has anointed you is God. No person, no position. You have been anointed by the king of kings. And if that's true, you can face the pressures of people against you. We can face the pain of the bad news because the good news is this, that one has come to take our pain. The truly anointed one, the true king, the king of kings, has come and been a sacrifice for us so that we can be anointed. You don't believe that God says we're anointed? I encourage you, join John Kirkpatrick's small group with the men. And study 1 John. What does 1 John say? It says, The anointing you received from him abides in you. And this is a rich part of 1 John. Now little children abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. You have been anointed by the king. And it is by his sacrifice that we now can obey. Sometimes I get in trouble for not giving concrete applications. So I will give a concrete application. Okay? This is not the word of God from on high. But if you want to apply this to your life, here we go. Okay? self Deception has the very word self. If you want to avoid self-deception, start being with other people, okay? Stop being by yourself. And we give you lots of opportunities here at Emmaus Road to do that. Ample opportunities. There really should be no excuses. We have community groups on almost every night. We have women groups in the morning. We have a women's group at night. We have a men's group. There are lots of opportunities for you to be around others. Okay? And the truth is, when you're around others, um, you can't be self-deceiving anymore because they start to see things in you. And if you really are bold... You might do this in your community group or your small group or men's group or women's group. You might ask this question. Do you guys see something in me that I don't see in myself? You want to overcome some self-deception? Ask that question. 
Be bold enough to ask that question. Do you see things in me that I don't see in myself? Maybe the first step for some of you is this. Asking that question of our King of Kings. God, do you see something in me that I do not see in myself? And if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, he will say, yes. You are far from me, but I have hope for you. There is one that has come for you. And if you believe in him, I will no longer see you as you, but I will see my son in your place. And then the Lord will say to all of us who believe in him, I see a son and daughter of the king that I love, that I hold, that I believe in. No matter what comes in your way, I am there for you. That is good news. And that good news will help you face the bad news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so glad that you have given us characters like Saul. As wicked as he was, he shows us that we need you greatly. That no matter what position we hold, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a parent, whether it's your head of a company, we are not immune from sin. Help us, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.